0: You are visiting with us, welcome to Florida, where one day you sweat and the next day you shiver. It's just how it works in March. So we're continuing in the book of Mark, and uh, this week Mark builds on the teaching from last week. So last week we looked at marriage, this week is fitting that we look at children. And, um, and it's also fitting that like last week, the way that Jesus speaks about children as the way he spoke about marriage is different than the way that it was treated by the rabbis and by the way that social conventions of the day were, uh, were handled. So we all love children. Our society loves children. It was not so in Jesus' day. Not that they hated children, but they were not the focus of attention like they are today. And now, parents, culture, big business, everything revolves around children. Everything revolves around their needs, their their, their desires. How do we make them happy, and how do we pull the most marketing dollars out of your children? But in Jesus' day, they were not as significant. In Jesus' day, they did not have value in society until they could contribute. They were secondary and second-class citizens. And for most of history, and around most of the world today, that is still the case. That children do not eat first. They eat last. The men eat first. I kind of like that. But, uh, just because I'm a wretch. But, we push children to the front of, of everything. And there's, there's some good in that and there's some harm in that. We'll look at that along the way. But in Jesus' day, it was not the same. You would never see children ordering their parents around like they would today. You would never see parents or children talking back to their parents. When we went through our Deuteronomy study, if you disobeyed, you died. This was serious. You were to take the commandment to honor your father and, and mother, and if a disobedient child continued in his disobedience, then he would influence other children, and there would, be, there would be chaos in society. And the Bible has much to say about children's disobedience and selfishness and helplessness. But overwhelmingly, the Bible cherishes children, as Jesus does. And what Jesus does when he speaks about children like He does with a lot of things, is He challenges the societal norms. He challenges the practices of the day and the practices of His own disciples. And He uses children to teach us about the kingdom. I also think that it's fitting that in His incarnation, He did not come as a fully formed adult. He came as a child. And He learned. And He grew up. It shows us a lot of what He thinks about children. It shows us His humanity and also His humility. And so in our text this morning, it is a very middle-heavy text. We're only going to look at four short verses, um, but it's like a sandwich. Have you ever been to New York City? Those really big deli pastrami sandwiches with like a thin piece of bread on the top, a thin piece of bread on the bottom, and like a pound of meat in the middle. That's our text this morning. So we're going to be very quick at the beginning and at the end, and we're going to lean in in the middle. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of meat in the middle of this text. So again, four short verses in the middle of Mark 10, picking up in verse 13. Make sure I don't drink Josh's water. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you. May we see ourselves like this. Children in the arms of Jesus. Protected and blessed. May we come to you like children. May we know that we are welcome in your kingdom through faith in your Son. We are adopted to eat at your table and share in your inheritance. May this passage be an encouragement and a challenge. May it be convicting for those who stand on their own ability, their own intelligence, for those who are still trying to stand in their own righteousness. And do not know what it means to be your child. May they be humbled, broken, that they may turn and believe, and that you may be glorified. We ask that your Spirit work in us this morning. Remind us of the teachings of Christ imprint it on our minds. Engrave it on our hearts, that we may not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. That Christ may be glorified in the life of His bride. It is in His name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is that they were bringing little children to Him. And this is, this is kind of a, a pattern. This brings to mind a couple verses we saw in Mark 9. 9.36, He takes a child and uh, put him in the midst of, midst of them and taking him in His arms. He begins to talk about the child. Verse 42, still talking about the child, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. And so we get this picture that it's not uncommon for children to come and sit at His feet and listen. And parents to bring their children to Him. And um, it brings His care and concern. And So there are varying ages. The words used in the Gospels are different. Luke uses infants. Here it's, it's, it's young children. So uh, we don't have to get dogmatic about the age of the child. Just young ones. Jesus welcomed all comers of all ages, and, and um, they, they came to him, and there was a reason. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. So to our Western ears, this doesn't mean much. But in those days, for a rabbi or a teacher to touch someone, it was, it was a, a priestly sentiment. It was a priestly act that showed authority and transference. The blessing and grace that God has given me I want to bestow on someone else. And so when they would install elders, when they would send out missionaries, they would lay on hands and, and pray. This is important to come to a teacher, and it was an honor to have a respected teacher touch your child or yourself. And then Matthew adds the, the phrase to lay hands and pray. They weren't seeking a healing. They didn't want to just be touched like the woman who, who was bleeding For healing they wanted blessing they wanted their their child to be to be cared for to be to be prayed for and the laying on of hands the the touching of a spiritual father is also associated with the patriarchal blessing we see this throughout genesis we see this with um abraham and we see this with isaac and we see this with jacob they would touch their 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 sons you know even even blind isaac and he's he uh doesn't know which son is which, son is which because he's, he's blind, but he still must touch them. And that's how Jacob is able to fool his, his father. So there's this, this touching of, of transference and of blessing. And there's a lot of symbolism going to this. And we're going to end where we begin with the desire to be touched by Jesus. And that, that, that's what's going on here. And so this is all good. This should be a good thing. Yet enter the disciples. As usual. And they rebuked them, those bringing the, ch- the children to Jesus. This word here is the same word for honor or shame. Depending on its context, it is positive or it is negative. This is a corrective rebuke meant to shame them. The disciples criticize and they look down on these families. I think, why? Because in the disciples' eyes, And they're probably products of their culture. Jesus has better things to do. These children are a waste of his time. They're not real students, they're not worth his time. There was some arrogance or pride within them. And the the disciples, as usual, are pretty full of themselves. They're arguing about who can be greatest in the kingdom, they're arguing about who can sit on on his right and left hand, they're trying to jockey for position. Yet they look down on children who want to come to Jesus. And so anytime you see pride, you see arrogance, you see selfishness, you're going to see Jesus' righteous anger. And that's how he responds. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. This is a deep, passionate anger. He's not just a little perturbed. He is furious with a righteous anger. And He is right for it. Because of their self-righteousness and their selfishness. Jesus' indignation is not rooted in His selfishness like ours so often is. It is rooted in His righteousness. and His desire to let no one be hindered from coming to Him. Especially children. And so... He confronts His disciples, and so don't read this weakly in a weak way. This is a strong command when He gives it to them. Let the children come to Me. Some translate this. stop, uh, Do not stop them from coming to Me. It's the same sense. It's this command that is literal for them. Let those children come to Me but is still true for us figuratively. Children no longer are brought up into Jesus' arms in the literal sense. But we are to let them come. This command for us is to instruct, to guide, to foster, to point, to give them the knowledge of who Christ is, to lead in practice that they might come to Him. That everything we do in front of the eyes of children should be to point them to Jesus that they may come to him. The most caring thing these parents can ever do is bring their children before Jesus. And the most caring thing we can ever do with the little children in our midst is bring them before him. Bring them. Let them come. There's also something else that's important here. They're impressionable. Because if they don't go to Jesus, they will look to someone else. They will follow someone else. They're going to soak in whatever is given to them. Give them good food. Don't give them garbage. Bring them to me. So that's why we are intentional in our philosophy of ministry here toward children. We want children of every age, if possible, to sit in with their parents. We want the singing of hymns, the reading of Scripture, the listening to sermons to be ingrained in children. Even if they can't understand every word, the word of God does not come back void. We're not here to entertain them and and keep them busy and be like another Nickelodeon show. And even those one through five who have a hard time sitting down here, they are hearing the gospel each and every week. They are being pointed to Christ in each and every lesson. Because that is what is most important. We have been given, we've been entrusted with children and and given stewardship over their lives and not just for the children we encourage and we support families as well teaching them to bring their 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 children to christ coming alongside them praying for them encouraging them because we know how vital this is i want to touch on that more as we as as we go on and so the first thing we're going to see here is that children are precious to jesus and as they should be, they should be taught and encouraged. But some people swing too far and overcorrect here. It does not mean pander and entertain. Let the little, little children come to Jesus. Not everything else you want them to do. What He has in mind when He says do not hinder them is those who discourage them, those who dismiss them. Do not hinder them from coming to Jesus, thinking they're a waste of time they're a little they're little image bearer image bearers in need of redemption but let's talk about what this is not some parents don't want to hinder their children from anything that is not what he's talking about here some parents think that their little angel can do no wrong if you are doing that you are hindering them because if your little angel can do no wrong and runs your house they don't need Jesus they don't need God because they are little gods. And our culture swings the opposite way from Jesus' culture. We have made children into little idols that everything must be centered around. And they must be validated and encouraged in every way. Your, children, your child needs to know they're a sinner. They need to know that they need, save, they, they need saving. Uh, and if they don't know they're a sinner, wait about two minutes. They will remind you. But spoiling your child is a hindrance from dependence on faith. Or excuse me, um, yes, yeah, so on, on Christ. So don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now I, I want to talk about what this is and what this isn't. Jesus is saying a lot here. For to such is the kingdom of God. Why, does he, why let them come? Why not hinder them? So one, it says something about his day that this was a, a common practice. The rabbis loved to quote other rabbis. The smart guys always loved to quote other smart guys. And so you weren't saying something important unless you were, you were referencing someone who was esteemed. Jesus is, is breaking down that whole, that whole practice. Look at the children. Also says something else about who he is. He speaks authoritatively. On the kingdom of God, for such belongs the kingdom of God. He speaks authoritatively because he can. But the rabbis didn't talk like this. The rabbis were, were, care, were concerned about practice, they were concerned about observance. If you read the writings of the rabbis, it's do this in this situation, do this in this situation, do this in this situation. As we saw a couple weeks ago, the kingdom of God is everlasting life in Christ. His concern is eternity, the things that do not pass away. And that way, he was very different than the rabbis. What does it mean, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven? Does it mean that all children are in the kingdom? Does it mean that children, because of their their innocence and their innate moral quality, belong to the kingdom? Of course not. They're cute, but they're sinners. It is not what that means. It means, but to such ones like children and this makes sense when you're speaking to adults if you want to enter the kingdom consider these children be like them and to explain it jesus goes a step further and here's where we're going to lean in in verse 15 truly i say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall not enter it and i want to break all this down beginning with the first word truly amen in the greek We close our sentences with Amen. Let it be so. Let it be true. Let's be in agreement. Jesus begins with Amen. I am in agreement. I am truth. Truly, I say to you, understand this. Whoever does not. This is how we know he's not speaking specifically about children or or only about children. Whoever does not. Anyone. Whoever does not Receive the kingdom of God like a child. What does it mean to receive? How do we receive the kingdom? John helps us here. If turn to John chapter 1. Keep your finger in Mark. We're going to be flipping back and forth in a few minutes. John, in his great introduction, telling us who Christ is. Talks about His light coming into the world and what it means to receive Him. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It is illumination, direction to the Father, understanding of salvation. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Here's where the line is drawn. Those who don't receive Him, now those who do. But to all who did receive him, how do you receive him? Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. This is how you receive the kingdom. You believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is he who bestows on you adoption, to be a child. What type of birth? Nicodemus is confused with this. I want to look at Nicodemus in just a moment. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You receive the kingdom by being born of God. By receiving Christ in faith, you must be born again. Chapter 3 of John. you got Nicodemus, this brave teacher of the law who comes to Jesus' night in the, in the uh, middle of midnight. Under the cover of darkness to ask questions. And he struggles because he sees the signs, he hears the teachings. And he says, you can't do these things unless God is with you. But picking up in John 3.3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus, rabbis are very literal, said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered, truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. How do we receive the kingdom of God like a child? You must be born again. You must come to new life in Christ. You must trust in Him in faith. There is no other way. There is no way other way. Now, this is where children come in. You must receive it like a child. So obviously we know what goes on in the spiritual realm. You must be born again. The Spirit must work within you. But what does this look like practically? How do children receive things? So if I was to take out $20 and I offer you $20, as an adult, you're a little skeptical because no one just gives you money for no reason. I'm not going to receive this. You should be skeptical. I'm not giving it to you. But as an adult, we, we have learned I've been scammed before. I've been taken advantage. There's always strings attached. I'm not going to receive it. You hand something to a child, great, take it and run. As they should. it is a good thing that children are trusting That they can just receive it from Jesus without all of the baggage that we have built up over the years of our lives. It's great to trust Jesus, it is terrible to trust strangers with candy. It's also why we must guard our children. this This is how they receive simply, easily, in faith. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, what does it mean to be like a child? Now, they're not commended for what they have, but as Jesse alluded to earlier, but for what they do not have. No status, no stake in the world, no wealth. They're helpless. They're simple. The only thing they can do is rely on their parents and trust in their parents to provide for them. They have no choice, like a child. Not for what they do have, but what they do not have. They do not have all the encumbrances that we have. They don't carry the baggage around of our own pride and our own accomplishments or our own hurts. They haven't lived long enough yet. This is how they come to Christ. We've got a lot more stuff to hold on to. I love what James Edwards says in his commentary. He says, Little children are paradigmatic or ideal disciples, for only empty hands can be filled. This is how you come to Jesus with empty hands. You cannot receive if you're already full of yourself, full of your own stuff. This is how we must, we must come to the Father, emptied of ourselves. Just like your little children come to you with nothing to offer but the words, Mommy, Daddy. And you receive them because they are yours. But we try to fill our pockets we try to carry everything with us we can, because we think God needs us, and we need our stuff. Come like a child. Helpless, empty. But there's also an intellectual component here. There's a beauty in the simplicity of a child. As we grow over, we grow older, we grow more cynical. We grow in doubt and skepticism. We think we know everything. From about middle school on, maybe freshman year of high school, we've got everything figured out. No matter how old you are, you think, you've, you think you've you've got it figured out until your plans crumble, and they always do. But our whole lives, ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, we are competing with God. We want God to make sense to us. We want the bounds of good and evil to be in our little brains. And because we think that God should condescend to our limitations, we can't trust something that is bigger than us. We must wrestle with the simplest of concepts. We can make the easiest things difficult. Because as we grow older, our childlike innocence, quote-unquote innocence, fades. A child says, he's God. Okay, great. They're used to being un- under authority. They're used to people being bigger than them. That's not hard for them to imagine. But we think we're pretty big and we're, we're pretty confident on our own. So a few of us guys were having a conversation after the service last week about the Trinity and the difficulties that come from explaining the Trinity and the heresies that come out of the, the, the Trinity. You know, just light conversations that we have every Sunday afternoon. Um, we do. We do. And But that's not a conversation children are having. When I said your children are learning the gospel every week, what your children learn is, uh, who is Jesus? God. Who is the Father? God. Who is the Spirit? God. Is Jesus the Father? No. Is Jesus the Spirit? No. This is simple for them. God is three, God is one, and they accept it on faith. It's, there's, a, there's a beauty of this simple faith. Okay, cool. So there's a great example of this. Uh, my little nephew, Daniel, is three or four. So listen, I'm terrible with, with ages. I am terrible with uh, birthdays. If I forget your birthday, I wouldn't remember mine. How many, Josh? He's three. I thought it was three. But if, if I wasn't born on a year that ended in zero, I'd forget my own age. I, I just, I, I'm not a sentimental person. So if I forget your birthday, Jesse will wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> He's, 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 he's really good at that. So um, we had this great interaction with, with, my, with my nephew last week. And so I found out that I am the uh, uncle with candy now. So I know my nephews love me, but they really love gum. And so when they found out I have gum, they come up and ask me for gum. And so Nin and I conspired against them <laughs> in a good way. If you're going to get gum, you've got to earn it. So they have to come up and hug me before service. When you see my nephews hugging me, they, they, they love me. And I asked them which one did they, they love more. Well, we love you and gum. So I'll take it. So they give me a hug before service, but then after service, and then said, ask them what they learned. So every week, I asked them what they learned. And Daniel's a little more shy than his brother. Sammy typically is the, the, the spokesman for the two. But I asked Daniel, what did you learn? And Daniel said, hey, we learned that Jesus calmed the seas. Great. How did he do that? By speaking absolutely and i want to step further but how did he do that because he's god duh like he didn't he didn't he didn't say duh but it was implied (laughs) i love that a three-year-old gets it jesus calms the water he's he's man he spoke but he's also god it's amazing what a little gum will do so this reminds me of this is a, a, a true story. This reminds me of the first evangelist in in our family. Uh, so my great grandmother on my father's side, uh, who I never met, Italian immigrant, very little English. One of one of the first converts. And so when you grow up in a blue collar, predominantly Catholic town, uh, there was persecution uh, toward toward Protestants. They literally had to worship in a little shack out in the woods because. There, there was pressure from all of their Catholic neighbors. She knew very little English, but my father's most striking remembrance of his, of his, his grandmother was the proposition she would pose to them every time she see them. The only English she knew was, do you believe in Jesus? And her motivation was a stick of gum. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? He said, I would have believed in anything if she just gave me the gum. But I love the evangelistic spirit, and now I didn't even make the connection until this morning that I am doing the same thing. But thankfully, I know enough English to bring, them, to bring them beyond the gum. But it's amazing that she is now in glory with her daughter-in-law, who is with the Lord. And her grandchildren, many of them, are with the Lord. And her great-grandchildren, many of them, are with the Lord. And her great-great-grandchildren, many of them, are with the Lord. Simple prayers of a faithful grandmother in broken English. It's beautiful. And we see this so often in the church that belief for children is easy. But as they get older, the world and their flesh begin to challenge the faith that always seems so simple. And Satan acts just like he did in the garden. He accuses, he deceives, and twists the teachings of God. And sadly, the church has not done a good job at responding to this. We're great when it comes to Sunday school and when I grew up it was flannel boards and uh, you know, coloring workbooks and macaroni necklaces and all those real sanctifying things. But once they get out of Sunday school, the church doesn't really have an answer for them. And they leave them to the world to, to figure these things out. As the church, we need to encourage these children and bring them to Jesus at a young age and keep reminding them and keep bringing them, and keep challenging them. Train them how to be young men and women who glorify the Lord. We must encourage them to trust in Christ in all ages. From young to old, many of us are not too different than the children. The other thing, when Jesus says, you receive the kingdom like a child, here's what children have on us that we don't. They know they're helpless. They know they're weak. We don't. You're not as tough as you think you are. You're not as independent as you think you are. You're not as strong as you you think you are. A beautiful characteristic of a child is that they know they need help, and they're not afraid to ask for it. The older we get, we tend to think too highly of ourselves. We think, I've got to contribute something intellectually, financially, in my abilities. But for us, we need to be like children in this regard came across Psalm 131 this week, and it is a beautiful picture of it. How are we to view our helplessness, and how are we to approach the Lord like a child? A few short verses, but I want you to see the wisdom of Psalm 131. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't think too much of myself. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I know where I belong. Stay in my lane. Do not try to think above my pay grade. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have come to rest. How do I rest? Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Like a child who is no longer feeding directly from his mother, but still comes to his mother for comfort, for nourishment. He knows enough to come to his mother and is a complete comfort, complete rest. This is David's prayer for Israel. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Don't think too high of yourself. Don't put too much emphasis on what you can do. Don't like, 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 like Solomon, don't pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Rest. Be it calm and quieted like a weaned child. And Jesus peels back the curtain here, so now is where we're going to flip around. Uh, Luke 10. Jesus tells them how this happens, how they They come. There's the the hardened 10 in Psalm 131. But in Luke 10, picking up in verse 21, look at what Jesus praises the Father for. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, great Trinitarian verse, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. Jesus praises God that it's not the wise and the self-righteous, but the children who He reviews, reveals these things to. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. You've got to take a step back. We must come to Him like this, but it can only happen. If the Son reveals the Father to you by the power of the Spirit to the glory of the Father. The eternal economy of the Trinity, how God, Father, and Son work together is peeled back by Jesus here. And he praises God for it. He praises the Father for it. And then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and do not see it and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Consider yourselves blessed. From Moses all the way to Malachi. They all long to see what you see. They all long to hear what you hear. The word of God made flesh explaining the redemptive plan of the Father. Empowered by the Spirit. Redemption come alive. New life. New life. Creations in him. People being born again with eyes to see and ears to hear. They long to see it. Jesus praises God for it and so should we. This is a great gift from God. And I love how Paul ties all this together to the gospel in Galatians 4. Jesse referenced the sister verse in Romans 8. Couldn't decide which one I was going to go to. Now I know why. He went to Romans 8. I'm going to Galatians 4. So as he's, this contrast between law and promise, he talks about children being under guardians, but he gets to the most important point. point. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, another beautiful but in the Bible. Sorry, Forrest isn't here. He got a kick out of that. God sent forth His Son. Notice, Jesus' birth. Born of woman, born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus' birth leads to our birth. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Now think about this. It is the Word made flesh. God Himself, born of a woman, who lived a perfect life, so that He may keep the law on your behalf. He might go to the cross on your behalf. He might die the death you deserve. Take your sin upon Himself. Punish it give its full measure to the wrath of God and raise again to new life that in His new life you might have life as an adopted son with all of the rights of a son, all of the inheritance as Paul goes on to talk about. It is through Him and His birth that we are brought into new life and as children you must learn to do everything the same way again. When you are regenerated, you must learn everything as a child. The Spirit teaches you to cry, Abba, Father. For the first time, you cry out to the Father as your Father. You understand what it means to communicate with a holy God. You are taught by the Spirit of God to speak to God. The Spirit teaches you how to crawl, how to speak, how to walk, and hopefully how to run. I love Francis Schaeffer as a great example of this. And so Francis Schaeffer is one of my models for ministry. Pastor, teacher, evangelist. A mild-mannered man who was a monster in the faith. Who would answer any question, any time of day. Would walk through the gospel no matter what station of life you were in. He tells this beautiful story of sharing the gospel over a period of time with an uneducated housewife and a doctor. So as he's, as he's pointing this housewife to the Lord, her questions are very personal to her. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my, my children? And he encourages her, what Christ has done for her, and, and, and what it means for her identity. But the doctor, on the other hand, he wants to pick apart everything. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? I've heard these arguments. I've heard that this falls flat. So he engages with him intellectually and analytically. They're both converted around the same time, but as they're converted, he brings them both in as children and raises them up as children in the faith. This doctor is now sitting next to this housewife, and they are learning at the feet of Jesus in in, in meekness, in humility. That is the beauty of the gospel. It is the great equalizer because nothing else in your life matters. Your status, your wallet It does not matter. When you come to Christ, you come to him as a child. And so we see this beautiful picture of these children coming to him in verse 16. So we're a long ways away from them bringing the children to them, but Jesus teaches his disciples and he brings them in. We see his compassion here. He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I want to break this down quickly and then give you some application jesus does more than just touch him touch them for those who come to him in faith he gives them what they are seeking and so much more i love the way this is written in the greek there's this picture that jesus takes every child up picks up every child into his arms blesses each one touches each one dedicating each one to the lord if you will One by one, this line of parents. This beautiful picture of Jesus' compassion with these children in His arms. This ceremonial blessing and He takes time with each one, knowing each one, praying for each one specifically. This is how Jesus knows those who are children of God. This is how He intercedes for them. Same for those who Come to him like us. He knows you by name. He picks you up into his arms. He holds you in his mighty right hand, and no one can ever snatch you out of it. He ever lives to intercede for you by the right hand of the Father. He is your mediator, sent in his spirit to be your advocate. The communication chain between Father, Son, and Spirit is unbroken. And his compassion as he blesses you and prays for you, encourages you. This is a good thing that those parents brought their children to Jesus, as they should. These days, parents are more excited to bring their children to a fat man in a red suit than they are Jesus. Bring your children to Jesus, not Santa. This is how godly parents should be lining up. To present my child before the feet of the Son of God. That he may touch them, that he may bless them. This is how we raise up children. This is how we encourage them. Because it is only by his compassion and his blessing. And the beauty is that the Son reveals the Father to you, the Father draws you, the Spirit quickens you, brings you to new life. This is how Jesus treats you. He takes you in his arms, you get his care and protection the intimacy with which He knows His own. He knows you intimately because He was you. He walked as you did, as you do, in temptation, in weakness, in hunger, and being tired, and being frustrated, and being angry. And He knows, what it, knows all of your hurts, knows all the difficulties you have faced in this life. But He has gone before you perfectly that you may go to Him uninterrupted, unhindered because of what He has done for you. And His blessing, all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ are yours. Jesus doesn't give empty promises. Jesus doesn't bless temporarily. He blesses eternally. If His blessings rest on yours, they are yours forever. Amen. And this is the beauty of coming to him like a child. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to that cross I cling. If you've got anything in your hands you think you can offer to God, let go, drop it. It's nothing. There are eternal riches with our Father in heaven. So, application for Christians. I've got four points of application and... Um, But I want to say quickly, if you're not a Christian, I have a simple command and simple question. You must be born again. If you are not a Christian, if you are not sure if you're a Christian, I must ask you, are you born again? Do you know what it means to be united with the Son of God? Do you know what it means for the Spirit to intercede on your behalf? Do you know what it means to call the the, the God of the universe Father? If you don't repent turn is what jesus says in matthew 18 when the when the disciples are arguing over who will be greatest in the kingdom he says unless you turn like one of these children and humble yourselves you will never see the kingdom this now is a family conversation for the believers application number one if you come to jesus as a child you are a child of god There is no universal sonship. We are not not all children of God. You must be given that right by faith. It must be granted to you, as John says in John 1, by the Son. But if it is, if you are a child of God, rejoice. You have so much to be thankful for. And act like one. Act like the Lord of glory gave his life for you. Act like he died to sin that you might also. If you were come to Jesus as a child, you are a child of God. Number two, disciples are learners. The word means learner. If you are a child, you must be teachable. You, the old Asian proverb, you can't be a full cup. The empty hands are the ones that get filled. You must be teachable. I love what Paul says about this in his pastoral ministry in 1 Corinthians 4. I love that 1 Corinthians 4 is the most messed up church in the New Testament, by far. But he speaks to them lovingly and patiently. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. Look how he speaks. As a minister of the gospel, look how he challenges them. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He sees the children of God as his own spiritual children in his ministry. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, according to the gospel, be imitators of me. If you are a disciple, you are a learner. You must be teachable. Follow those who are following Christ. Imitate their way of life. And this, excuse me, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ. Paul cares for them so much, I taught you. And I taught Timothy, he's also my child, but Timothy is a little further along. I'm going to send Timothy so that he can remind you of what I taught you about Christ. Jesus said this is the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and remind you of everything that I taught you. And for that, I will send you evangelists. I will send you elders. I will send you shepherds to teach and remind you. Because you are constantly learning. You are constantly growing. And they will do it. Timothy will do it to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So when Paul says everywhere in every church, this is good for every believer everywhere. We grow in Christ and we grow together in every church. Disciples are children. Disciples must be teachable. Number three is a very important distinction. We must be childlike, not childish. Big difference. Paul addresses this. Stay in 1 Corinthians 3 or 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because he's addressing a lot of childishness. The great love chapter. I love how I don't I, I don't love, I mean this in complete sarcasm, that people quote the, the the love chapter as if it's just be nice and remain in ignorance. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Love does not remain childish. Love grows up into the image of Christ. We are to be childlike but not childish. We are not to be content on milk. It would be foolish to see a 30-year-old baby on a bottle. There are many 30-year-old babies on bottles in the pews every Sunday morning. Some of you are content with a bottle. Be childlike, not childish. One more in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 20 of, verse of chapter 14. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Childlike, not childish. We are to have mature minds that are renewed. According to the word of God, that we remain infants in evil, innocent as doves, yet mature in our thinking, wise as serpents. Number four. So one, you are a child of God. Two, you must be teachable. Three, childlike, not childish. Four, you must abide. This is where I want to close. First John chapter two. John loves this language. Paul picks up on this language. John picks up on this language. Imagine hearing Jesus say this. John took this to heart because as an old man, probably 50 to 60 years later, he still calls the writers of his first epistle little children. He refers to them as children of God. And this is a note where we want to land on. And now little children... Picking up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Little children abide in him. Why? Because this promotes confidence. Children are teachable. They're not childish and they abide, they remain, they cling to the love of the Father. Verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Those are some of my favorite words in in all of Scripture. And so we are. That is how we know the Father's love. That's how we know the Son's love. That we are His children. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. But it gets better. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. This is the posture of the believer. We cling to Christ Because one day when he returns, we're going to see him in all his glory. We have been given right to see God as he truly is. We have been given right to stand in his presence because our high priest has gone before us. That's what it means to be a child. We should stand on that. Jesus is coming for the children of God. And we shall see him as he is. If you are a child of God, rejoice. If you are not, repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for Your amazing love for us, Your mercy without compare, Your grace beyond measure, that You would take the weak, the helpless, the simple, the stupid, those who are foolish in this age and make them wise unto eternity that we might know You, we might come to You, be brought into Your arms, be blessed and protected and cared for, that we might be united to You. Lord, forgive us when we are arrogant like the disciples and we criticize those who we view that are beneath us. Forgive us when we come forget to come to You like children. We come... Thinking too highly of ourselves, looking at things that are too grand for us, standing in our own apparent righteousness. Forgive us when we do not humble ourselves and rest on the righteousness of Christ. Lord, let your church be humble and simple and wise, and let us be bold and stand confidently before your throne, because of who we are in Christ Jesus, because of your love given for us. Let us respond to this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.